Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast from The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. This is a special edition of the podcast recorded live on Facebook at just after midday on Friday, the 9th of June, 2017, as we all came to terms with the outcome of the general election. Goodness me, this is not what we expected. We've got a hung parliament, still one more seat to go. Kensington and Chelsea are uh, taking the afternoon off and they'll get back to their counting, but it currently stands that the Conservatives have 318 seats, Labour 261, the SNP 35, Lib Dems 12, Green 1, and others lumped together 22, but we'll dig into those because some of those matter far more than others. I'm joined with a stellar panel by uh, Alice Thompson, columnist for The Times, Emma Tucker, deputy editor of The Times, Patrick Kidd, sketchwriter from The Times, and Tim Shipman, the political editor of The Sunday Times. Welcome to you all. Uh, if you are watching on Facebook, you can post your questions underneath the video and we'll try and get through as many as possible. Uh, And we've already had some uh, which have been sent in already. So we'll start nice and straightforwardly. Matthew Knowles on Twitter says, Who won? It seems like everyone lost. Who wants to start with that? Alice? I think Ruth Davidson actually is one of Ah. the real winners last night. She was utterly extraordinary in some ways in the way she ran a very nice campaign and she was very upbeat and she also won a lot of seats in Scotland. And um, compared to Theresa May, she did look as if she'd been efficient and effective. And she hadn't called the election, but uh, she'd done very well out of it. YouGov, I think. I mean, we we were talking about the polls and saying someone's going to have egg on their face and someone's going to look really good. And despite YouGov being the Times pollsters, I think between ourselves, we thought, no. And and they were doing this seat-by-seat analysis. And they were saying things like, Kensington is a toss-up. And people said, no, can't be, no. And here we are. They were saying Canterbury. I remember Ian Dale tweeted, if you want to know how rubbish the YouGov poll is, they're saying Canterbury will fall to Labour. It did. Um, so, I mean, they, they put their reputation on the line, and all credit to them for that. So they've had a good night. Philip Hammond, potentially. <laughs> <laughs> uh, who was being brutally knifed by sources close to the Prime Minister last weekend. Um I may live to regret saying this, but it seems unlikely he's going to be moved as Chancellor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're not climate. big on political predictions now, but 
his his position certainly looks more secure than it did yesterday. It, very much so. Um, yes, and you know the the Home Secretary, who was probably the other star of the show on the Tory side, is uh, managed to cling on to her seat with uh, a majority of three hundred. And any chances she might have had of uh, taking over from Theresa May have gone up in smoke as a consequence. You can't have a Prime Minister who might be removed from her own seat. Emma, um, I think it's too much of a stretch to say that Remainers won, but I think the hard Brexiters lost last night and uh so i think the, you know the bets are, are you know all this talk of a hard brexit no deal uh better than a bad deal i think that's that's going to end and we're much more likely now to get a more nuanced approach to the brexit negotiations when they happen and so what what do you, what do we think is going to happen with brexit because as theresa may kept telling us in the election campaign the talks start in 11 days and if she lost only six seats, Jeremy Corbyn would be the one doing the negotiations. Well, she lost more than that. And they do still start in 11 days. So what, what's going to happen? Well, I, think it's, I think it's inconceivable that they can start in 11 <laughs> days. But having said that, the, the, the messages that have come out of Brussels this morning have all been, uh, it, it's all, you, you know, let us know when you're ready, but the clock is ticking. <laughs> which really, really puts a pressure on whoever the egg time over. has been turned yeah. over. What, what was extraordinary about the election was that Brexit didn't get discussed enough. So actually, mm. we we haven't discussed it for so long that we're now going to have to catch up and start discussing it quite yeah. seriously. I we think got a no bit one near the end when Boris was unleashed and gave a Brexit mm. speech, and they'd forgotten about it for a couple of weeks, and they they didn't play enough Boris. I mean, he's been a, perhaps another winner because certainly among the toy grassroots, there's clamour for him now. He's not going to be sacked. Betty Chesterfield says, does Mrs May have a mandate to represent us in the Brexit talks? I do not think so. I mean, that's part of the problem, isn't it? She laid out, supposedly, her Brexit plan, and she can't claim that the country has <laughs> rubber-stamped it. What do you think, Tim? Uh, no, but she does have more votes and more seats, and in our democracy that does count for something. Yeah. I, I rather suspect they will try and trot off in 11 days and at least kick things off. Um, there may well be a debate about precisely... Um, uh, what we're offering um, and David Davis's comments last night suggest that there is room for some uh, nuance and manoeuvre as Emma was saying and I think you know potentially they may try and broaden things out and bring in some other people and suggest that they're listening to, to groups that they've been ignoring for some time it, I wouldn't put it past Theresa May to to make some bold offer to the other parties to, yeah. to join the negotiating team and, and make Keir Starmer you know part of the gang um, they may well not go along with that in the Labour Party but it at least puts the puts the choice back on them well, fact, um, Sadiq Liam Gladdy on Facebook says do you think there's a chance that the Conservatives will seek a Brexit coalition with Labour send Starmer and Davis to start negotiations while we sort this mess out. Well, I don't think that's impossible. And yeah. if you look at the positions they've got, if you take the politics out of it, they're not a million miles apart. Mm. Um, Labour says that they want to secure, you know, the equivalent of single market access. Well, Theresa May's position is that she wants to secure the most of that that she can. And in practical terms, um, those positions aren't terribly different. But where the difference comes is that they, you know, the Tories say that controlling immigration is more important than that, and Labour say it's the other way around. But in terms of can we go and get the best deal, um, that may not be the worst option. And in terms of selling whatever deal emerged from that, having the two main parties, you know, they both if they both had a stake in it... Well, if they've both dipped their hands in the blood, that, as yes, it were, yeah. then, um, <laughs> as the phrase goes, um, that would be more difficult, which may well be why Labour might uh, reject such a, an offer, but it seems to me that it would be a sensible one for Theresa May to make at this point. I can't see why Corbyn would take it. He has come out and said she is an Ill illegitimate <laughs> Prime Minister. Dis Ridiculous thing, by the way, that Labour are 65 seats away from being a government governing party and they're claiming they've won the election. But that's a, by the by. But he has effectively oh, yeah, said I she think, has to I go. I think we can forgive Jeremy Corbyn mm. for he being a, a 
elect- pleased with himself. He has, uh, he's had a very good election. We, we thought we were going to see the total destruction of the Labour Party. And instead he's won... You started by saying none of us thought this was going to happen. The trouble is, if you're in a household of young, younger people, they all th- they, they're not surprised by this result. Despite, you know, I've had, I've had people yeah, yeah. bending my ear at home saying, you're out of touch, look at my Facebook forums, you know, Corbyn's going to do really well. And I dismissed it completely and said, you're, you, you know, you, no, that's not scientific. I do feel that one of the big stories to come out of this election is social media and the effect it's had on the vote. And also the rallies. So actually, when you looked yeah. at Jeremy Corbyn, people did turn up to those rallies. Yeah, the yeah. festival generation. We should have looked at that. They, yeah. really, they were really going for it and they all enjoyed it and they liked seeing him. And that old fashioned campaigning combined with Facebook was a sort of bizarrely. Mm. And how much of an impact do you think the the complaint that the young didn't turn out for the EU referendum last year and the sort of grievance that that appeared to yeah, the young didn't turn out and the older people had ruined it for them and all that sort of stuff. I think they actually they felt much more motivated for this. My children, it was more that they just quite liked what Jeremy yeah. was saying, really which is sure, actually quite yeah. positive. They weren't be, it wasn't a negative, look, we're going to show you. It was more, actually, yeah, yeah. you know, we read this and we think it looks quite fun and it's actually addressing us and people are interested in us, finally. I think the young were taken for granted, absolutely taken for granted by Theresa May. Yeah. She mm. offered them nothing. There was nothing that she offered anyone. She offered no one anything. She offered no one anything, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the I thing mean, being about, offered nothing was an advantage. <laughs> But as I had in my, my sketch this morning, a former Tory MP said to me that Theresa May had to have a better pitch to the middle classes than to say, Labour will kill you, we will only bleep you. Yeah. And that's what her pitch was, you know, yeah. We, yeah. we will do you over. Yeah, didn't she work. wasn't exactly helping the elderly, that was no. the weird thing. Neither yeah. the young or elderly no. did. Yeah. Yeah. So as Tim says, who exactly was she offering anything And then to? it was interesting that the narrowing of the polls, which everyone assumed mm. would boost the Tories because it raised the real prospect of Jeremy Corbyn becoming Prime Minister, actually that seems to have really invigorated Jeremy Corbyn supporters, mm. where it suddenly became a realistic thing. Let's go out and make this happen. It's, there was a big sort of running crisis. Which is why it's very dangerous for the Conservatives if they if they think about calling another election, because now that um, the Corbyn generation has got this close to the mm. hem of power, um, they've got every incentive to turn out in even bigger numbers next time. Uh, so let's um, uh, take another question. Somebody says, uh, Ed Johnson on Facebook says, is there any alternative to May being Tory leader or she only staying because the, the alternatives are also so poor? Well, I think it's more a case of um, the process of, of putting any of those people in would be so disruptive that it would probably end up with Jeremy Corbyn and Downing Street. And the uh, after a lot of rage overnight, which most of us will have been getting in our text messages yeah. and WhatsApp queues from Conservatives, um, most of them are waking up to the reality that if they try and change their leader at this point, um, the whole thing is going to go into total meltdown. Um, you know, and the alternatives... You know, David Davis looked like the person who would probably inherit if she had literally fallen under a bus. But um, he's being blamed for persuading Theresa May to call the election. Um, And, uh, you know, not everybody in the Parliamentary Conservative Party thinks that Boris Johnson is the answer to to all questions. But might this make her, I mean, it's a weird question, but might this make her a better leader? Well, I mean, what we've seen in the last month would suggest that the only way is up. Um, Also, she's got to do something about Downing Street. So you can't have Nick Timothy and Fiona Hill both dominating in the way that they have. And so far, she hasn't really said anything about that. But, I mean, it has been extraordinary, hasn't it, that you've had this NIFI situation where, you know, you you actually basically, you know, if you can't get to Nick and and Fiona, you never get anywhere. And it's all done through them. And we had a a chart in Red Box this week which showed that Nick Timothy and Fiona Hill had had more press mm. than two thirds of the cabinet. 
in the last two weeks of the campaign. I mean, obviously not all of it positive because some of it was to do with the social care thing. Mm. But the fact that I had to sort of remind myself who half the cabinet were. Yeah. yeah, and they're the ones who went out and did the, you know, the heavy lifting. And I imagine the tone of the conversations between Downing Street and some of those cabinet ministers is going to change. There was a lovely line on that a couple of days ago. Ed Vasey was on the Daily Politics and uh, was questioned about Philip Hammond going AWOL. And he said, well, no, he'd, he'd seen your list, I think. He said, this shows that Philip Hammond was the third most mentioned cabinet <laughs> member in, in, in the media. And Andrew Neil said, yes, that's because we're all asking, where is he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or whether he's about to be fired. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. which he you now he probably isn't. Again, um, a story that could have been put to bed if Theresa yeah. May standing next to him had simply said, yeah. yes, this man is my chance of the exchequer. Those stories ran because they didn't close yeah. them down. But even weirder, though, that the story wouldn't have got off the ground if they hadn't organised a press conference with nothing to announce. Yes. To put the Prime Minister the chance in a room full of journalists with nothing to talk about other than whether or not she was going to sack him. Yeah, not even the deficit. No, mm-hmm. amazing. Um, uh, somebody, Tom Burgess on Facebook says, how would the Conservative manifesto slash future policy be affected by a partnership with the DUP? So the way that Theresa May gets over the magic 326 is by having 10 DUP uh, MPs supporting her. They're already on board, we think. Who wants to volunteer anything about DUP policy? <laughs> well, well, it's expensive, is, is the first thing <laughs> you need to learn. Shiny Tradi- motorways. Traditionally, uh, close votes in the House of Commons have cost the sitting party uh, about a billion pounds for DUP support. So one can imagine what having their support constantly will end up costing. And the DUP, they're quite big on the tr- pension triple lock, I think. They like the triple lock. They don't like... They like a lot of, uh, sort of too infrastructure investment, um, which... Uh, We've not seen a huge amount of from the, from the Tories, rather more from the Labour Party. Um, but they're also um, uh, more in favour, again, on a soft Brexit, because they're very worried about the border. So although they voted for Brexit, I think, they're, they're, not, gonna, they're not pushing for a, a hard exit. Well, a couple of people. Sue, Sue Leadham says, what hope does this give to Remainers? Nadine Waddle says, as a Remainer, I was hoping that a hung parliament means a softer or even dreamily no <laughs> Brexit at all. <laughs> The trouble is she, she started the clock ticking before we had yeah. the general mm-hmm. election. And there's a lot of legal confusion about what whether you can actually revoke Article 50. I mean, it was never meant, ever meant to be triggered, let alone triggered and then revoked. So I honestly think you know, no one actually knows whether or not you can suspend it, overturn it, pause it. So there are these 48% it. of people who actually I think behaved quite well after Brexit. We kept going on about the majority spoken, but actually it was such a tiny majority. And actually I think quite a lot of people did wake up this morning who were Remainers feeling slightly, oh, you know, oh, actually we've got minute. our own back. Yeah, and yeah. then could we actually possibly conceivably do something with this vote? And I think maybe they they will want to. I think it is wishful thinking, I have to say, but I think there will be quite a lot of people who think, can we and just think, get back yeah, to normal, and biz- business, business will weigh in now as well. They'll feel emboldened to say more than they were saying. They've all gone a bit quiet. Uh, so you're watching uh, Red Box po- Podcast uh, live on Facebook. Post your comments in your qu- comments and questions in the comments section underneath. I'm joined in this studio by Alice Thompson, Emma Tucker, Patrick Kidd, and Tim Shipman. Let's take another question. Uh, ben Cohen, who I think is from Pink News, who manages to get a plug in. He says <laughs> that the uh, Pink News Awards are happening on Wednesday, the 18th of October, in Westminster. And they invite lots of MPs and Lords to it. Is our event going to be held in the middle of, or worse still, the night before another general election? He's managed to get a plug in there and basically say, <laughs> are we going to have an awesome election? Uh, Not another one! <laughs> <laughs> Straight to Brenda. Where is Brenda? Um, I thought so three hours ago, and I don't think so now, um, because I think the Tories have realised that that would bring them total disaster. 
It depends how it works with the DUP. We, we talked, I'm not supposed to mention this just before, you said 326 to win votes, but you take the Speaker out of that, you take Sinn Féin out of that, the Deputy Speakers. I mean, Theresa May actually only needs one or two extra MPs to vote with her. Now, obviously, there will be illnesses and stuff, but this takes us back to the 70s, where there were, we saw that very good play not, not long ago, where both sides were wheeling in their sick and dead and to try and get over the line. And actually, you may find she doesn't need DUP support on quite a few things if she can have discipline among her, her backbenchers. But given that the reason she called the election was because she felt she was going to struggle with a majority of 12, <laughs> saying she might be able to muddle along with a majority of minus two doesn't sound that positive. Well, she's going to need to do the things that, that some of those uh, uh, Remain MPs wanted. She's going to have to make a much more explicit pledge uh, that, that whatever she comes back with from Brussels would be put in all circumstances to the House of Commons. She hasn't quite said that yet. There are lots of things where she did not concede full ground that she might have conceded mm. ground on before, and, and she's going to have to concede ground on now. Well, Is so she- we're not going to get some of the manifesto pledges, hopefully, so... There are quite a lot of issues like fox hunting, which took up 700 hours <laughs> grammar schools. last time. The grammar schools, faith schools, there's a lot of different issues and you know free school meals. Whether or not she'll be able to get much of that through, and maybe that's mm. what the electorate wanted. I mean, I think quite a lot of the electorate didn't want the manifesto, which is, you know... Well, so um, David Rising says maybe this is a vote to say not politics as usual. Maybe it's saying get yourselves sorted out and work together for the benefit of the country, not the party. Is it? Is it a sort of... Do, do the British public always get these things right? They got it right in 20... 10, 2015. Well, you could say that, I don't know, that in a sense they have got it right. They they want Brexit, but they didn't want a really hard Brexit. They didn't like Corbyn. They don't particularly like May. I mean, if you look at it, they've sort of got that got that covered. They've got May, but on condition. They didn't get Corbyn, but they sort of gave him a boost. And it looks like Brexit's not going to go the way that it was heading. So in a strange way, you could say we've sort of ended up with roughly what the public wants. They always get what they want in the end. Um, let's just talk about Scotland, because the decline in the SNP and gains by the Tories and Labour Party and Lib Dems on a scale that maybe we weren't expecting. Was that a surprise? 13 Tory wins. I mean, everyone was saying 10 as a very optimistic and probably thinking 6 or 7. So Ruth Davidson, as you said, has really delivered. And of course there's the clamour now, will she come down to Westminster? Well, here we are. Kieran Cochran said, it may be wildly unrealistic, but several people have entertained the fantasy of Ruth Davidson riding down over Hadrian's Wall <laughs> and somehow marauding her way into Westminster politics as the Tory saviour. They're going to have to improve the sanitation in Parliament because Ruth Davidson came and spoke to the Parliamentary Press Gallery a few months ago and was asked, as she always is, about this. And her main reason was they don't have good enough loos down in Westminster. <laughs> How would they do that? Would they have to give her... Uh, would there have to be a by-election? I thought you were asking about the sanitation. No. <laughs> well, but there could be a by-election in South Thanet. Oh. I mean, that's something want to do it. With, with, with Craig yeah. McKinley still yeah. being charged, and as a research innocent until proven guilty, if she's got a minority government, and that's one that they didn't have to have a by-election. South Thanet and Ruth Davidson? Yeah. Or maybe Maidenhead. Yeah. Maidenhead. <laughs> maybe Theresa says, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go and sit in David Cameron's shed. I don't I think, think South Thanet's safe enough yeah. for, for something yeah. like that. I mean, we did, we did an interview with Ruth Davidson in the Sunday Times magazine recently, and she was pretty clear that her future lay in Scotland for the time being. Um, the one thing stopping a leadership election at the moment is the lack of a, a sort of agreed candidate who could stand unopposed. Um, I have to say, if she had a, a seat in Parliament right now, um, there'd be people trying to drum up support for mm. that. Um, I think the most important thing is how her campaign was run. So there'll now be a huge argument about the fact that she ran a very different campaign from Theresa May. 
and whether or not we've had the end of nasty campaigning and negative campaigning and Linton fearful Crosby and fearful and all those sort of things that were very much part of the Westminster campaigning. She doesn't do. She's very open. She's brilliant. You know, she's great on Twitter. She's great on Facebook. She's she's really good at all that side of it, and she's got a fantastic backstory. And she doesn't do the sort of, you know, Theresa May, the only naughty thing I've ever done is going through a week. <laughs> when I went up and saw Ruth Davidson last week um, in Edinburgh, I was struck by how much she was stressing that it was her campaign in Scotland. And if it went wrong, it was her fault, but by implication, any credit came her way. And she was trying to insulate the campaign up there from what was happening down south. But, I mean, they speak to Scottish Conservatives. Even the past couple of days, they thought that they had been hit by the May factor. Well, clearly she did succeed in insulating yeah. it. It's almost like two different different campaigns. Absolutely. She gets on very well with me, so yeah. they say. But I'd heard that she was keeping Lyndon Crosby well away from it. Interesting. And also, mm. I, I went to uh, Ruth Davidson gave the Orwell lecture about, about three weeks ago down down in London and began by taking the Mickey out of the Prime Minister, which I thought was brave. She, she, I'll forget the quotation, but she read a bit of Orwell in which he said that the power of rhetoric is that politicians can make powerful arguments out of pure wind was that effect and she said i wonder what he'd think of this election you know strong and stable stuff like that. imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with bowl and branches organic cotton sheets in a recent customer survey 96 percent replied that bowl and branch sheets get softer with every wash Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That was ballsy. But then she did, but, but I mean, just after the... Uh, EU referendum, which came and spoke at the press gallery, she had a whole load of jokes about. Well, there was the massive Johnson the massive wheeled jo- out yeah. to take the Mickey out of Boris. Um, yes. you know, I can't remember the full details. No, and she, uh, but she also is very sort of. She sounds normal when she talks about herself. Um, uh, the other highlight of that speech, and a phrase she used several times, um, she did the, one of the debates, and there was talk of having her during the EU referendum on the same side as Angela Eagle, and she made some reference to. She told Sir Craig Oliver, who was then the Tory uh, communications guy, "Well, you know that's fine. I'm happy to do it, but do you want sort of two spade-faced lesbians on the same stage?" And yeah, you, know, you can't imagine most politicians talking about themselves like that. I found it because it was such a good joke. So she was talking about um, the two different the differences between the Tory Party and the Labour Party and how they deal with their leaders. She said, "You know, 
Labour's still fumbling with its flies while the Tories are enjoying a post-coital cigarette after withdrawing our massive Johnson. God. I mean, that's, for uh, somebody who we're talking about is the it's only serious candidate to be Prime Minister. Yeah, that's taking over as someone who's worse, your, that was running through a wheat field. Your, yeah. your uh, job as sketchwriter would be much easier if you had Ruth Davis as Prime Minister, wouldn't it? Well, when I did the Orwell thing, I likened her to one of the Bash Street kids. Yeah. It was just after Leo Baxendale, the cartoonist, yeah. And did you ever see that wonderful picture during the campaign of Theresa May coming on stage and Ruth Davidson running yes. past her. Yes. Like, yeah. uh, very, and that was a bash streak in post. And she got, the, the, she got the crowd yeah. really fired up for that. Yeah. And yeah. then Theresa did strong and stable. But she, she's a caricature, but she, she is sunshine when Theresa mm. May has been, as, as my colleague Quentin, let's call her a glum bucket. She also mm. has this extraordinary ability when she's actually worked for the BBC and she's been in the army. And, you know, she's a lesbian and her parents are very religious and she's quite religious and she comes from Glasgow, but she sort of speaks very beautifully in a kind of, you know, perceived English. You think it's extraordinary how she manages to balance all that. So you could either dislike everything about that or what's happened is we've, we've sort of embraced all of her, haven't we? And she rides on the back of a buffalo and a tank and, and whatever and she's else. younger than anyone in the cabinet as well. She's, you know, she's... Not quite appealing to the youth, yeah. but she's, she's, well, she's, definitely, she's definitely got more yeah. appeal to them than, than Theresa May. But the striking thing is, on almost every count, her best attributes are the Prime Minister's worst attributes. Mm. And, it, you know, there were, I was wondering a few months ago when the time would come when they stopped seeing her as an asset and started seeing her as a, her as a threat. And I think we can I think mark that, today I as think the that moment might be when that, that crossed might over. Be, might be the point. Um, let's have another question. Gillian Humphrey on Facebook says, despite appearances, it wasn't all down just to May. Who else needs to be held to account for this epic judgment failure from the election call onwards? Well, that's the piece I'm hoping to read in the papers on tomorrow <laughs> and Sunday. You know, because the blame game started as early as last night. Yes. Though, people were saying that Theresa May, I mean, I don't know if it's true, was already saying it wasn't her idea. She was, her advisers advised her to do it. Well, I think almost everyone in government was telling her to have a snap election. She kept yeah. saying no. And then eventually she was the one who made the decision. So it seems I think it's the walking holiday. I think. Bad idea. Blame Wales. Yeah. She shouldn't have taken a holiday. I also think Philip May might have something to do with it because he must have been, as the only other person on the walking holiday, one of the only people that she actually listened but, to. But in the you end. can't blame her for doing it. I mean, the polls. No, it was the right thing to do. Yeah. She did execute it. The badly. campaign was bad, not the. But decision. even well, yeah, I suppose so. The manifesto well, was bad. That, that's when it all started to go wrong. But we'll never know. It may be that if she had run a brilliant campaign, the same. I mean, we just mm. don't know. It, but but based on what she what the polls were saying at the time, she called it. It was. A, it was a logical thing for her to do. The other mistake was calling a seven-week-long general election, and some mm. of us did actually yes. say this the day she called it. It makes no sense as the sitting party to call a seven-week election. Normally, you do a quick and dirty three yeah. and a half weeks. Um, you know, there are some limits to how short you can do it based on uh, the fixed-term Parliament Act. I think it might be 25 days. Um, but it's absolute madness to have a seven-week campaign. You're always going to have a cycle of events and, you know, there is always going to be a situation where the narrative points to the, the person behind catching up. And, and we had that, you know, coupled with two terrorist attacks, which... Um, it's fairly astonishing that uh, Theresa May was not able to turn that to her advantage. Um, and, yeah, the whole thing was basically a shambles. But the yeah. manifesto is the, is the key mm. turning point as far as I'm concerned. And that's certainly what I'm picking up from uh, ministers and MPs this morning, that, that that's where they're putting the blame. That and it was all about her. You know, we had those rallies mm. with them holding banners saying yeah. Team May, people tweeting saying, I'm honoured to be Theresa May's mm. candidate and wherever. And if you're going to run a campaign based on personality, you better have one. And, 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 and the trouble is, they, they then discovered that she was the only one they put out. Didn't put Philip Hammond out, didn't put Boris until the very end. And so seven weeks of May yeah. every single day. It's like having gruel for Britain. Well, there was so, day, isn't it? 
Theresa May and her team were so desperate to take total credit for this landslide and they victory. Were. They yeah. weren't willing <laughs> they didn't to share it. any yeah. of that. So it was going to be all about her and she was going to win it and it was going to be her victory to do what David Cameron had never managed. I, I mean, think Gordon re- Brown today must be feeling yeah. quite smart because he actually, you know, he's always thought of as having been so appalling in, in so many ways, but actually at least he didn't call an election. He must be thinking now, well, you know, he must have always thought, should I have called that election? Now he knows it's probably not a good idea. Well, this is the Gordon Brown result, isn't it? Jeremy Corbyn yeah. has got the same result as Gordon Brown and Theresa May has behaved like Gordon Brown. So. <laughs> and while we're on the subject of smug, we should probably talk about George Osborne, mm. who... Where do we start? Barely yeah. contain himself. Well, he didn't night. contain himself. No, he didn't. <laughs> that is true. That is true. So he was on ITV. I mean, he basically he refused to leave ITV views. They said, you know, we've done with you now, and we've got some more guests coming in. And he said, no, we'll stay. And he he rode out the but rest of the can, night. He can barely contain himself. But there must be a bit of him thinking, why did I give up my seat? I mean, I don't know. Wouldn't he be a contender for a leader if he was if he was still in Parliament? He is the biggest beast in a way on the Remain side. And so actually when he looks at it and you're talking about Nikki Morgan maybe putting her name forward, he must be thinking, well, could have been I mean, me. she was my deputy basically, that, that it could have been me. And that actually if I hadn't gone and got all these different jobs and gone and been editor of the Evening Standard and kept my seat, there would have been a chance of... But he is loving editing the Evening Standard. Every day there's another tidbit in the leader column about... Yeah, I mean, Theresa he was virtually calling for her to resign before we'd yeah. had a single result. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, he's just been on the radio um, talking about his front page headline, um, barely able to contain his laughter. Um, <laughs> there were quite a few Cameroon parties last night, um, which friends of mine were at, um, where Schadenfreude Central was the was the constituency they were sitting in. Um, on the other subject of somebody else who's, who's now out of Parliament, Nick Clegg, uh, although the Lib Dems are now up to 12, they started on nine, they've gone up to 12, but there's been quite a lot of churn there. Well, almost the, it's a sort of almost an entirely different parliamentary party, isn't yes. it? John Pugh was going anyway, but his, his successor in Southport lost. Clegg's gone. There's been a couple of others that haven't there. Um, but then we've got the big beast back. We've got Vince back. We've got um, Ed Davey, Joe, Swin- yeah, Joe Swinson. Swinson. You have just used the phrase Ed Davey and big beast in the same well, sentence, but we'll let you off. Sir, 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 Davey, if you don't mind. But Vince will want to be a future leader, won't he? Yes. Well, Vince loves always being a future leader. That's his. Uh, that's how he likes to operate. Norman how... Lamb staying on in North Norfolk is interesting because his Tory opponent was very close to Team May, um, had work, worked with Nick Timothy closely before, he's married to the leader of the House of Lords, local boy, and that was a clear decapitation strategy there and didn't come off. So what, do we, what state are the Lib Dems in now? Because we did think, again, that they were sort of heading for disaster. Well, they've got fewer votes than they got last time, which is a pretty astonishing achievement, actually. Um, I would think Tim Farron will uh, find a uh, dignified way out at some point, and I would think Joe Swinson is, is actually the one who will end up taking over rather than Vince Cable. They'll try and at least look to the future. Um, but it's been a curious campaign for them, because it looked a week ago as if they'd made completely the wrong arguments by, by hammering all this Remain stuff. Actually, it looks like they might have been onto something. Unfortunately, all those people have gone and voted for the Labour Party instead. <laughs> for I'm curious about to what extent this uh, the outcome uh, reinforces this sort of cultural divide that we saw post Brexit. Um, you know, with London, London was an amazing story last night. I mean, there are, I don't know how many Tory seats there are left in London now, but you know, the, inc- the Labour vote increased massively, and so you know, this split between the, the capital and the rest of the country seems to have been reinforced. And I'm just wondering whether that sort of city versus rural d- cultural divide has been, or you know, university towns has is, is somehow been reinforced by the out- 
by the result. But it's rather extraordinary that it is Kensington that's going Labour. Yeah. I mean, if it does yeah. go Labour, it is really bizarre, well, considering got, they are the richest constituency pretty much in the country. They've got an immensely Brexit MP, or candidate or mm. a candidate, who was wearing a Union yeah. Jack Alice band yeah. on the day of the really Brexit bill being passed. And that's how it's all troll your constituencies. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, Diane Abbott's had about the worst campaign of anybody, well, and her majority is now 35,000. Yeah, exactly. Jackie it's, Brown says, what I'd like to know is who is going to congratulate Diane Abbott on her 35,000 majority and apologise to her after the terrible racist and misogynistic campaign waged against her. Well, OK, I'll apologise to Diane Abbott for um, nothing at all, I'm afraid. I mean, well done on getting enormous majority, but, you know, you're judged on your performance during the campaign. I, I, you know, I've covered five general elections now, and I don't think I've ever seen a front-bench spokesman quite so out of sorts as, as dear old Diane has been over the last month or so. And it's not, it's not about race or, or sex, it's about incompetence. I have no doubt that she has received some vile comments on social media as they get that the, the we racist and misogynist and that's disgraceful. But she is rubbish. And and she, she obviously, to become the first black uh, female MP was an amazing achievement and she was a, a figurehead. But to then hold her up as an example of what black women can achieve when she's not actually any good, I think is quite disgraceful and disrespectful to, to other black women who are extremely competent. And in the Tory party, Tories have elected Kemi Bardenock in Saffron Warden, who is a a member of the London Assembly, who is a black woman who's highly regarded. It's not, you know, Labour don't have the, the control over Yeah, the monopoly. Um, Diane Abbott made some big, big mistakes, and they, they talk about her having health issues. We can't really discuss that. But she also made well, big well, mistakes during the sort of terrorism crisis. I mean, she was the spokesman on Home Affairs when that was the question we were all asking her. It wasn't like she was doing agriculture or yeah. you know, some issue that wasn't actually really important and vital for us to be discussing at that time. She was discussing one of the major issues of the campaign. When, when they brought up the, the, the fact that she had been a big figurehead in the 80s and someone pointed out, yes, but you, you wouldn't put Paul Gascoigne into the England football team today. Yeah, he may have been. Mm. A, a, Mind you, you could say that about Corbyn as well, you know, big beast in the 80s and put him well, in the hot seat and he... And, and yes. the, the, the argument about her ill health struck me, listening to particularly Barry Gardner trying to explain the situation, is if she was ill, then why do they wait until the day before the election to do something about it? And if she wasn't, and they've made it up, well, that's even worse. I, I, that's quite cruel on her. Yeah, a, if she was massive... ill and they were putting her up for all these interviews, then they behaved irresponsibly. But, I mean, given that... I mean, people were laughing, but given that she could have ended up in the Home Office today... Mm-hmm. Well, it'd be interesting to see if she returns to the Labour front bench now. I mean, uh, those of us who um, have followed this quite closely, I think, have some suspicions that uh, people at the top of the Labour Party just felt it was convenient to put her out of the way. Um, maybe they'll think that it's fine to bring her back now. Um, that will be one of the proofs of the pudding on this one. She's been temporarily replaced by, uh, with uh, Lynn Brown, who, from what I've seen in the comments, is arguably a less impressive politician. <laughs> and a bully as well. She was famously told a blind journalist to get the F out of my effing way, which yeah. I don't like bullies in, in public life. Um, but she's not been impressive at the dispatch box. So we shall see. There's going to be some shuffles, of course. Um, Barry Gardner, you just mentioned, has had a good election. I think Andrew Gwynn Andrew has had a, a very, superstar. Yeah, I yeah. want to see the Andrew Gwynn, Boris Johnson round three. It's like Arlie versus Fraser. You need the third <laughs> battle to uh, they, they've been They've been a really good double act, like Portillo and Diane Abbott used to be on the, this week. Yeah, whether or not you want either of them in the forward office is a, is a, is a separate question. Um, let's do a couple more questions. Kudzi Makopa on Facebook says, with two of the three last three general elections ending in hudden parliaments, is it time for proportional representation? 
I would say no, because actually, uh, going back over what we were discussing earlier, First Past the Post has an uncanny way of arriving at a sort of crowd-funded version of what the British public actually wants. And if, you, if you're if you a sort of middle-of-the-road person who can see good on both sides of the political divide in this country, if you go back over the last sort of 10 or 12 general elections, most of the time, if not pretty much all the time, the kind of common sense position has ultimately been arrived at um, by the great British public. And this time round, they do feel like they don't really want Jeremy Corbyn to be Prime Minister. They're not that keen on Theresa May. They wanted to cut her down to size a bit. We are pressing on with Brexit, but perhaps not with the same kind of Brexit. And that's through a sort of process of elimination is about where we've ended up. Also, we have had a referendum on PR. I mean, that was the first well, referendum. Well, the risk of this, everybody logging off, <laughs> AV is not yeah. proper PR. No one's true. Yeah, but no one's but let's not get bogged down with that. Yeah. <laughs> but it was the first referendum. And we it was, know, and yeah, that, yeah. Actually, that's what kicked off this mania for referendum, because yeah. I think David Cameron in the end thought, oh, these are quite a good idea. We can just, you know, use these. We know, to we get know rid how to win ideas. these. We know how to win them. Then Scotland, they just about won. And then, you know, that got them into Brexit. One of the best things about UKIP not coming into government, you can probably think of a few, but one of the best things is they were promising a referendum every other year based on a, an opinion poll. That, that they would have a petition. They'd rule by rule by referendum. That's the way they get the death penalty yeah. back. I yeah. think was the plan. But, but there would be um, a petition. Chief executioner. <laughs> yes, whatever got the most signatures, there would be a referendum. They were promising never ender. Mm. UKIP. I was going to say, are we? Is done? this it now? Are Paul they Nuttall's done? Gone. Paul Nuttall's gone. They didn't. Farage you know, coming back. Farage. Mm. I mean, I, I I woke up this morning. I saw Farage on television. I thought I may be wrong, but I I suspect this is pretty much the last we'll see it well they'll always be there but they're not going to play a big role now in the future they've done their bit they've surely had their say <laughs> they've lost their deposit in something yeah. like 330 seats and did they, they, they didn't their, share, well, their share of the vote About did it go up? and it was amazing yeah. in the when you saw the breakdown in individual seats the UKIP purple bar was down yeah. massively and in a lot of seats it was then evenly split between Tories and Labour. Yeah. So although everyone thought oh it's all going to go to Tory actually there was a big But that was one of those pre-election sort of assumptions that people yeah. made that it turns out, it turns out not to have been I right. wouldn't assume Nigel Farage is going anywhere at the risk of quoting one of my own tweets I did say <laughs> this morning that uh, all elections end with Nigel Farage either returning as UKIP leader or, re- or retiring <laughs> as UKIP leader and sometimes both. I saw Gawain Tower the UKIP um, communication Chief said earlier, I've had the honour of serving nine UKIP leaders and five of them were Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> right, finally, uh, Vanessa Gray on Twitter says, my question is, is Laura Koonsberg bionic? Does she not need sleep? Well, it's not just Laura. It's what not about just you, Matt? Come on, Matt, I've tell I've not us. had any sleep since five o'clock yesterday morning. How much sleep have you had, Tim? I've had 57 minutes and I expect to get three more hours between now and Saturday evening. Patrick, Patrick you can go on, better than I've not had any sleep since six o'clock yesterday morning. Oh. So not as long as you... But I have Pathetic. Got a, I He's ha- got a newborn. I've got a He's newborn got a baby, newborn. So And what about... I've had a good three hours. Oh! <laughs> Three and a half. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, Adrenaline is a wonderful thing, I think it's fair to say, in these situations. Yeah, I wouldn't have missed uh, last night for the world. It was uh, quite extraordinary, which seems to be what we say on a fortnightly (laughs) basis. Uh, My thanks to Alice, Emma, Patrick and Tim. Uh, Don't forget you can sign up to my morning email briefing, which I do during the week, and Tim does on Sundays. It's thetimes.co.uk forward slash red box. But for now, for me, Matt Jolly, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Even on a budget, 
Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.